This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, we're continuing our um, mini medical school series talking about your medications. And today we will be, today we'll be talking about uh, the dietary supplements, something that many patients can get over the counter at any pharmacy. Our presenter today is Dr. Kenny Sonoris. She's a professor of clinical pharmacy right here at UCSF. She contributes to the Hospital Medication Outcome Center, which conducts medication-related research and evidence-based analyses, evaluates pharmaceutical models of care, contributes to continuous quality improvement, implements value-added strategies, and improves patient outcomes within the UCSF Medical Center and its affiliated institutions. Her area of research involves dietary supplements, and she's been involved with that research since 1994. She's very passionate about educating the scientific community and the public about dietary supplements. She has authors, authored numerous, numerous articles and has contributed meaningful research in the field of uh, dietary supplements, particularly with dietary supplement safety. She has contributed her expertise to the development of dietary supplements competencies within the pharmacy school curricula, nationally and abroad. She's also established a strong reputation in the area of dietary supplement, has been asked to speak on this topic at local, statewide, and national educational programs, and she's speaking for us today. Thank you, Dr. Sonoris. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, So today's presentation is entitled Weight Loss, Dietary Supplements, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And really that sort of summarizes, I think, a lot of the frustration that many adults have with weight loss. Um, So for today, I, won't, uh, I will not be discussing any off-label uses of prescription medications, and I really have no conflicts to disclose related to the content of this program. The objectives are really for you to understand each supplement and understand the evidence behind it, to also uh, get a sense of how it works or the pharmacology of the ingredients that I'll be discussing, and then to be able to list one or two potential side effects. So we know that more than one-third of U.S. adults are obese. In fact, the statistics estimate that it's about 35% of us in the U.S. who are considered obese. Pretty staggering numbers. We know that obesity-related conditions are also the leading cause of preventable death in the U.S. And in 2008, medical costs associated with obesity approached $147 billion dollars. When we look at the, the cost for caring for patients and we compare obese adults to normal weight adults, the cost for caring for obese adults is significantly greater. On average, it's about $1,400 more to care for a patient who's obese than it is to care for someone who's a healthy normal weight. So this is a, a slide set that I'll show you that describes how the obesity epidemic has spread over the United States, and it's depicted in this this diagram. This is an organization, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the CDC analyzes data related to uh, the surveillance system. And what they're depicting here in these next few slides is... Uh, the obesity trend, and meaning that someone that is obese is characterized as having a body mass index of greater than or equal to 30. 
And this is approximately 30 pounds overweight for a person who's about five foot four. Now granted, these are rough estimates, but this gives you an idea. So we, they wanted to track just the obesity uh, definition here uh, within this particular slide set. And what you'll note is that each state is roughly a different color, and each color represents the percentage of residents within each state that meet the criteria for obesity. And down below, you'll note that the light blue uh, square denotes less than 10% of adults living in that state having met the obesity definition, and the darker blue is 10 to 14% having met the obesity definition. And as we go through here, you'll see more and more categories added as the population, more of the population achieves the obesity definition. And so, uh, How do they calculate body mass index? It's an equation, and I'll show it, I, I can show it to you after the presentation's over, yeah. So here's how the change has occurred. You'll note now that we have the 15 to 19% range. You see the states all sort of changing colors. By 96, 97, we've now added the greater than 20% of the residents achieving the definition, greater than 25% by 2002. Now we've added the greater than or equal to 30% of the residents living in these states achieving the obesity uh, definition until we get to 2009. And in this particular uh, uh, point in time, you'll, you'll note that Colorado is the only one that is uh, maintaining the majority of the residents achieving the definition between 15 to 19 percent. And so, um, and this trend has sort of continued, of course, this is only until 2009, but we sort of see the effects of sort of the Western lifestyle um, on, the, on, on the rates of obesity in our uh, country. So we know that overweight and obesity is a result of energy imbalance, right? We know that we're eating too much, too many calories, and not getting enough physical activity. Um, it's sort of the input versus output equation. But we also know that body weight is the result of our genes and our metabolism, our behavior, our environment and culture, and also our socioeconomic status. And it's a combination of all those factors. It's simply not just a matter of willpower. And so beyond this, we know that you know, behavior and environment play a large role. And to the extent that we can modify some or all of these factors in some way, we can perhaps address some of these um, staggering rates of obesity well, we also know that people are relying on weight loss dietary supplements, and we know that this industry is a $25 billion industry. There is lots of money to be had. In 2009, consumers spent $7.5 million on weight loss dietary supplements, and that represents a 6% increase from the prior year, and that number has gone up since then. We also know that... Um, People who use weight loss dietary supplements believe that, that they are safe and that they are effective, and that someone has reviewed these data prior to the product 
being marketed on store shelves, and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, we also know that women tend to be are twice as likely to use and purchase weight loss supplements than men are, and there's been a number of trends that have been identified. For example, uh, women tend to be between the ages of 25 and 34 years of age when they're uh, most interested in trying a weight loss supplement. They're most likely to be obese at the time that they try the supplement and that they have made many lifetime attempts at trying to lose the weight. We also are bombarded by media images of very rigid and uniform standards of beauty, and that makes it very challenging. We know that we're exposed to beautiful people all the time on television and on the internet. Think of all the celebrities and models uh, that you might that might come to mind, and maybe their exceptionally good looks seem very real and normal, but they're not necessarily attainable, and. We know that the current media ideal of thinness for women is achievable by about less than 5% of the female population when you look at the typical average woman and compare um, to what we know um, in the image that is portrayed of women in the media. So there's an imbalance there. In 2002, the FTC put together an analysis to look at all of the claims that are being made by dietary supplement manufacturers, specifically in the weight loss segment. And what they did is they tried to uh, look at all forms of advertising, not just television, but they looked at magazines and uh, circulars and the Internet and email, and they published a report on how supplements sort of uh, are sold and marketed to consumers. And what they found was that there were a number of different times, types of claims that they were making and appeals to consumers. The most popular form of appeal is, was the testimonial. And um, one of the most popular was Anna Nicole Smith, the late Anna Nicole Smith, who was a, a big proponent of Trim Spa EFX. And she was very successful. In fact, she had a very successful campaign with Trim Spa. Um, and those types of testimonials seem to sell a lot of, of product for many companies. Some other examples that I've seen are the all-natural angle, where there's no toxic synthetic ingredients. This is going to be better for you. Uh, we, we see all the before and after pictures. Uh, and I'll show you some examples. Uh, my favorite is that it has no side effects. And one of the, the ways that I like to explain that that's not true is when you're taking a substance, it could be a prescription medicine or an over-the-counter medicine or a supplement, you're taking something to change something in your body to make you feel good, right? So if you're taking, or to feel better, so if you're taking the substance to help you feel better, that substance also has the same propensity to change something in your body to make you feel bad, to, to give you a side effect. And that's simply based on basic pharmacology. And so for this reason, you can't simply say that it's, it has no side effects. Maybe the side effects are mild. Maybe it's just stomach upset. But saying that it has no side effects is, is, is simply lying. Um, the other angle that many of these supplements usually uh, will will tell you is that you don't have to diet and exercise, and that's simply false. Whenever you see something like that, you should 
stop and, and think that they're you know lying to you and, and avoid the product altogether. And you can see some others here as, as examples. My favorite is when I'm watching infomercials on TV. I like to w watch them and pause the DVR and read the fine print at the bottom, and it usually says results not typical. Uh, most of the time you can't quite read it, but it's there. And they've chosen one person who's had significant success, and they sort of showcase that as being, you know, the testament to this product. This is a cartoon that says you'll lose weight on any strict diet, but it's mostly water from crying. And I think this summarizes uh, the frustration that a lot of people have with weight loss, and, and it is a, not an easy process. So why do people use supplements? For all the reasons that we might expect, and, and these are just some examples, the appeal of a natural remedy, you know, that we want something that'll work. We want a magic bullet. We want a, a pill that's going to make it easier for us and, and maybe not have to just stick to that very strict diet uh, that we're supposed to follow. They're available at any local pharmacy, easy to get to, easy to take. I think you know we can all sort of um, agree that these are some very common reasons why people might seek out these supplements. Here are some examples, um, some of the more popular products, and of course some, some funny ones uh, named Up Your Gas, uh, Diet Fuel, Ripped Fuel, Xantrex 3, etc. There are many different products on the market. This is an example of one that it targets weight loss in the exact wrong way that we should be thinking about weight loss. Um, and one of the key words that you should focus on here that's a warning sign is miracle. 20, Hollywood 24-hour miracle diet. That should already tell you that it's, they're, they're, it's not true. Um, when this product was first marketed, the angle was that you could drink this juice, this beverage, and lose 20 pounds in 24 hours, which is absurd. And even if you could, it would be water weight, which is dangerous because you'll become dehydrated, um, among other complications. And so um, when, when I would see these commercials come on, I would just sit there and cringe because it was just horrible that people would see this and, and believe it. Another popular product, it was called Cortislim. It still is. It's still marketed. And when Cortislim was first uh, marketed, they uh, had a, an advertisement that said, you know, they showed busy people, a busy mom, a busy dad, struggling to keep up with work and kids, and, and, and they're stressed. And when you're stressed, you tend to make more cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And when you make more stress hormone, it it um, stores fat in your abdomen, and so that, that's how you get a fat belly. And if you take Cortislim, it will block the cortisol from being released. And guess what? You're not going to store fat in your abdomen, and this is a great product. Well, the FDA didn't like that because it likened Cortislim to a drug, and they sent them a letter. If you're ever interested, you could call it up on Google, and you can read the sort of stop saying your product is a drug <laughs> warning. And uh, they changed their advertising campaign, and they added a couple things. One, they changed the name, and now it's called Cortislim Lifestyle to incorporate diet and exercise, which they never had before. And so, you know, it's, it's funny how things change once you get um, 
uh, uncovered. <laughs> the other product that I'm going to be using today in a couple of examples is Trim Spa. And this is from their website. And you'll see here, this is when Anna Nicole Smith was um, marketing this product or, or endorsing it. And you can see here her before picture and all the other befores are in black and white. And of course, all the after pictures are in color. Some of them even look to be stretched so the person looks thinner or taller or longer. Um, and, and again, it's all based on marketing. So what does a, a bottle of Trim Spa look like? What's inside the bottle? Well, if you turn it, uh, turn to the back and you look at the ingredients, this is what you would see. And the average consumer would have no idea what all these things mean because you've never heard of these ingredients before. And you also don't know if they're in the right amounts. How would you know what all these things are? Um, so it's a very confusing model. Today, the label has changed. And I want to highlight just in some ways how it's changed. I want, I'd like to show you one thing here, and that is if you look at the far right, you'll note that the percent daily value is located right here. And this is only, there's only one ingredient that has a percent daily value associated with it, and that's chromium. And the reason why chromium is the only ingredient that has a percent daily value associated with it is because chromium is an essential nutrient. In other words, we do need some amount of chromium in our diet in order to maintain our health. And because of that, um, the, um, uh, we have a, a percent, uh, we need to get a certain percent in our diet. And the percentage that is found in this particular product corresponds to 62% of our daily value. You'll note that all the other ingredients don't have a percent daily value because they're not essential for our health and well-being. If we never came across any of these ingredients ever in our diet, it would not have an impact on our health. And so this is an important distinguishing characteristic that I wanted to call out. Now, if we move towards today's panel and, and see how it's changed, you'll note that chromium has been identified uh, has been pulled to the top, and it still maintains the percent daily value. But what you'll note is that all of these other ingredients have now been blended together into one big mess here. <laughs> and what the company is allowed to do is to take each of these individual amounts and add them up, even though they're unrelated and they belong to different ingredients, and added them all together to, so that you can see here it says six, a total of 600 and 22.5 milligrams of stuff. The problem is that number means absolutely nothing because if there were caffeine in this product, you would not know how much caffeine was in the product because it wouldn't be indicated on the label on the right anymore. It would just tell you the total amount of stuff that's in the, in the supplement. And so this presents some issues. And the reason why companies can get away with saying it's a blend of various things and we're not going to tell you how much of each ingredient is in there is because they want to have some market exclusivity so that they can say the X32 proprietary blend is better than you know, the other manufacturer's product down the street. And so um, it allows them to be exclusive in some way. And it also prevents the other company from knowing their, their exact amounts that they're using so that they don't copy the same amounts. Um, you know, it's sort of an interesting model that they're working under. 
Here's another example of a weight loss product called Xenadrini FX, and this one also has a proprietary blend, and it doesn't list the proprietary blend ingredients. Here you have to look on a separate document or on the internet to find out what those ingredients are. This is another supplement that has a variety of ingredients in it. You'll note, however, that it, the first few ingredients, the first one is called yerba mate, the second one, caffeine, the third one, guarana, the fourth one, damiana, green tea, kola nut. All of those ingredients have one thing in common, and they are all caffeine-like ingredients. They all have stimulant-like effects. So if you did not know this, you wouldn't expect to have a very stimulating result from ingesting this pill. Um, and you might say, well, I see caffeine there, but it's the second ingredient. Maybe it's not present in great quantities. Well, the other thing you should know is that the ingredients that are found in the greatest quantity are always listed first. And so those first six ingredients all have stimulant-like properties. And so this is something that every consumer should know um, before taking. Now, because of this, many companies will disclose on the label, they will say contains caffeine, and it's equivalent to drinking one or two cups of coffee um, as far as the amount of caffeine. The subtle difference is that in many of these uh, uh, supplements is you take the whole pill and it's all in. Sometimes if you're drinking a cup of coffee, you're drinking it over the course of a, a half an hour or an hour or even longer sometimes, so you're sipping it as opposed to taking the pill and having all of it be available uh, in your body. So subtle differences there, but important differences, especially if you're, if you're sensitive to caffeine. So how are supplements regulated? They're uh, regulated under the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. Um, this act actually excluded supplements from being regulated as drugs, and that was purposeful. What this does is it allows um, the FDA to, it, it forces the FDA to have to prove that a product is unsafe before they can remove it from the market. This is different than, say, prescription medicines or over-the-counter medicines, because with prescription medicines and over-the-counter medicines, we have to show uh, evidence that these, these medicines are safe. We have to conduct randomized controlled trials. We have to share them with the FDA. Um, there's extensive process to review safety. With supplements, there's the, the bar is completely different. It's set at a completely different level, and uh, only after harm is, is observed, then can the supplement be removed. And so that's where we get into some challenges with supplements. So how do you know when a product is one that you should not use? Um, the FDA has criteria for identifying fraudulent claims. Um, anytime you see words like breakthrough, magical, miracle, cure, new discovery, um, those should be warning signs. Some other examples are um, what they term pseudo-medical jargon, things like purify, detoxify, energize. Um, in the established medical community, those words are very uh, unclear and ambiguous, and so those would all be warning signs that maybe this product is not right for you. Some others, uh, clearly if a product claims to cure a variety of different conditions that are unrelated, that could be a warning sign. Uh, any advertisement that says a product has only benefits and no harms whatsoever, 
Um, I always look at the scientific references. Sometimes those references can be 10 or 20 years old, which is important. You don't have to know that they're good references necessarily, but you should at least look at the year. Um, sometimes they'll have in vitro studies or animal studies. And I say, you know, to the extent that we can, we need human studies. And that's when you can really say, okay, I feel comfortable that at least they're, they've studied these products in humans and not based on what, you know, uh, lab animals um, had a response. And then lastly, any, any sort of, you know, the government's hiding this from you, conspiracy theories uh, sh should be a warning. So how do weight loss supplements work? Well, they have a variety of different actions, and this is a, um, a schematic, a, a way to think about how do they put all these ingredients in there, and, and why are they putting these ingredients in there? And the way that um, you can think of it is there's different reasons for including different ingredients, and it all has to do with these different ways of, uh, of combining them. So they will look at how the ingredient changes something in the body. So does it make you feel full? Uh, does it help with eliminating excess water? Does it help block fat absorption? And then what they'll do is they'll say, we'll take an ingredient from this category, an ingredient from this category, and an ingredient from this one. We'll put them all together, and we'll market it as, as our product. And so um, these are sort of a summary of all the different categories that you might see ingredients sort of belonging to. As far as um, the first category, increasing energy expenditure, these are some of the more common ingredients. These are all stimulant-like ingredients. So think of caffeine as the example. There's also here ephedra, which I'll talk about. Another ingredient that I'll talk about, bitter orange right here. It goes by many different names. And then all the caffeine-like products um, that have caffeine-like properties, stimulant-like properties. So again, be very careful of these caffeine-like properties because sometimes they won't necessarily be identified on the label. <clears throat> we also have um, ingredients that modulate carbohydrate metabolism. I'll talk a little bit about one of them. Some others that are fiber-based that help you feel full, um, and then ones that block uh, fat absorption. <coughs> we also have uh, herbs that can be used to increase water elimination. And this is basically uh, a diuretic effect. So dandelion and cascara are commonly used. You will also note that occasionally you might find uh, very, very small ingredients of things like St. John's wort in the supplement, and this is because um, it's thought to enhance mood. But what they're really doing is adding such a small amount of St. John's wort. The industry actually has a term for it. They call it fairy dust amounts, um, and this is just for marketing it really doesn't have enough St. John's Word in it to, say, help with mood, uh, with depression, or anxiety, but it does have a small amount in there just so that they can claim that it can do, uh, uh, that it can contribute a unique uh, activity. And then 
Lastly, we also have a category where um, these ingredients are thought to help with fat cell breakdown, or what we call it, uh, increased fat oxidation. And there's a number of, of herbs here, and I'll talk about a few of them. So let's briefly go over ephedra, caffeine, and bitter orange. We all know that ephedra was removed from the market in 2004, but it is still widely available on the internet for purchase, and people can still get it, so you have to be very careful from other countries. Uh, we talked a bit about caffeine and botanical derivatives of caffeine, and what you re should remember is that these, these are stimulants, and they can affect your heart rate, they can increase your heart rate, and give you more energy. Um, and the, the result is obviously by having more energy, you're going to be burning more calories. Um, but again, you have to balance that out with safety. This other ingredient, bitter orange, it goes by different names. As, you know, as I note here, bitter orange, citrus orantium, or synephrine, um, this product is used in place of ephedra. In fact, once ephedra was removed from the market, all the products came out now having bitter orange as the replacement ingredient. And what we know is that it seems to be less um, uh, dangerous than ephedra, but not completely devoid of side effects. And I'll talk about it uh, in a minute. So ephedra was used, is used in Chinese herbal medicine. It's known as ma huang. It has a very astringent-like taste and a pine-like odor. In um, uh, ephedra, the plant ephedra is where we make our uh, ephedrine, which is a, a medicine that is still used today. And the way that ephedra and ephedrine work is that they affect the heart directly and they also affect the extremities. And that would, when you constrict the extremities, you get the cold fingers and cold toes phenomenon. When you affect the heart, you get an increased heart rate, maybe increased blood pressure, etc. And we know that ephedra, when used as a weight loss supplement, did this in healthy adults. And many of them ended up with heart attacks and strokes. In Chinese medicine, ephedra is not used in this way. It is not used for weight loss at all. In fact, it is used in combination with other herbs. It is used for a very short duration for chest congestion and coughs and colds. And it's used um, uh, for a short amount of time in these particular instances. And so, you know, I liken this as sort of hijacking a very uh, a useful herb and using it in a completely different way than it was ever intended. Um, and this is what obviously led to a lot of problems. So why was ephedra so popular? Well, in uh, one of the studies that was published, they found that ephedra, on average, led to about a monthly weight loss of about one pound, 1.3 pounds. You might say to yourself, that's not a lot, but for some people, that can be a significant amount. Let's compare ephedra alone, so one pound loss per month, let's compare that with how much you would lose if you combined ephedra with caffeine. And in this particular study, they did this, and they found that the difference was very small. So instead of losing one pound when you combined it with caffeine, you now lost two pounds per month. 
So then how does this compare to our prescription medicines, prescription weight loss medicines? So at the time we had Meridia, we still have Xenical, and we have Fastin. These are just some examples. Um, how, how is that sort of weight loss compare? Well, in essence, it's about the same. When you average all of this out, it comes out to about a pound per month or two pounds per month. And so the ephedra was actually on par with some of our prescription medicines as far as its weight loss. The trouble was that it was associated with a lot of terrible uh, consequences, and a lot of that had to do with people using it who probably shouldn't have been using it, who, who weren't the right people to use it, as opposed to some of our prescription weight loss products where you have your um, provider perhaps examining you, figuring out if this is the right product for you, evaluating your heart attack risk and your stroke risk, and making sure that this is a safe um, option. This is the other product that replaced ephedra that I mentioned earlier, and I've included some other names so that you can have an understanding of all the different ways that they can refer to this in particular ingredient. One name is bitter orange, sour orange, Seville orange, and then it also goes by some of these as well, parasinephrine, metasinephrine, or orthosinephrine, and these are just different isomers or different forms of the stimulant. What's different about citrus orantium than ephedra is that citrus orantium seems to have less effects on the heart. And so for this reason, many people believe that it would be safer. And if you look at the ingredients in, in citrus orantium, citrus uh, one of the most common ingredients that, it, that is isolated and characterized for is metasinephrine. And metasinephrine is a product that we use today called phenylephrine. It's used for congestion and it's available over the counter. And this product basically has uh, peripheral effects, so cold fingers and toes, less effects on the heart, and is used for colds and chest colds and congestion. Um, the problem is when you're buying citrus orantium, we really don't know which one of these ingredients it has, and many people believe that it's the metasinephrine that's the safest, and maybe these others are not as safe, and maybe these others are the ones that can contribute to the heart-related um, effects that we saw with ephedra. We really don't know yet because if you were to buy citrus orantium, they wouldn't, ne wouldn't necessarily disclose which one of these three um, isomers would be on the label. So it's really anyone's guess. What's the evidence for citrus orantium? Um, this is a very well-conducted systematic review um, that found that um, many of the studies that exist do not tell you about how they controlled for diet. So they don't tell you how much exercise these people had to follow, what kind of a strict diet they had to follow, how long the study was. Many of these studies range between two weeks or three months, and that's a very short duration. Um, so the weight loss that they found was about two to three pounds, which is consistent with per month, which is consistent with what we saw with the previous uh, studies. And then they found sm small increases in heart rate and blood pressure, but not nearly the same as um, what we've seen with the ephedra and caffeine products. 
So in essence, these are some of the adverse events that have been reported in the literature, and you can see them all here. Um, many people believe that these adverse effects had to, a lot to do with the specific um, metasinephrine ingredients that are found in the product, but we, as yet we still don't know. There have been reports of amphetamine lacing, meaning that some of these products have been tainted or um, uh, contaminated with amphetamines, and of course that could lead to some of those reported side effects. And we also know that it's very difficult to um, measure, uh, unless you test the product, it's difficult to know if there was more caffeine that was, than was stated on the label. And sometimes in many of these case reports, they don't tell you if they tested the product in question to make sure that it was pure. This is the other ingredient that I talked about, chromium picolinate. Now we're moving into the carbohydrate metabolism category. And this is a product that's supposed to help insulin work better. In fact, um, people who have diabetes often like to try a chromium picolinate to see if it may help their blood sugars and their blood sugar management. Um, what we know is that it really doesn't help with high blood sugars, um, but for weight loss, in some of the, in this particular review, they found a small reduction of about two and a half pounds over two to four months in people who were uh, overweight to obese. Uh, the authors went on to uh, criticize the study to say, well, two and a half pounds over two to four months, that kind of equates to about a pound a month. Is this really clinically significant? Um, and many people believe that it's not. Um, and so for this reason, this is a product that I don't, while it's not unsafe, I wouldn't say that it's effective either. And let me just show you chromium picolinate on the trim spa package. Going back to that, you can see that it was the first ingredient that was listed, only in this case it was a different form of, of chromium uh, other than the picolinate form. Which brings us to ingredients that increase the feeling of fullness. So these are all of the fiber-based ingredients, and they have funny names, glucomanon, guargum, and psyllium. The way that they work is that you ingest the fiber, and then when you the water in your stomach and your GI tract combines with the fiber, the fiber swells, and therefore it makes you feel full. Um, the problem with the studies that have looked at these types of fibers is that um, they're highly variable. Uh, one thing I want to point out is the dosing. If you look at the studies, the doses have ranged anywhere between 3 to 15 grams per day. That's a huge variable and um, is important in a minute, and I'll show you why. The other important thing to note is that many of these studies were not even longer than a, about a month, and that was about it. So very short studies, and um, overall the weight loss that was seen was about 1.7 pounds over five weeks. So again, maybe not as significant. But I want to remind you here that the dosing ranged between 3 to 15 grams. Now let's go and look at the trim spa package and see how much is um, contained in that. Look at that, 200 milligrams. That's not even one gram. So let's go back. Three to 15 grams, and this is 200 milligrams. So you would have to take multiple tablets to even get close to the doses that were used in that study. Very unrealistic. 
This other mechanism is to block dietary fat absorption. Of course, this was very popular in the 90s when everyone was trying to avoid high-fat foods. Um, the product was called Kytosan. It's derived from uh, crustacean shells, so lobster um, and the like. It is a positively charged polymer, this chitosan, and they thought that what happens is when it's um, in the presence of fat in your gut, uh, the fat is negatively charged, and so the chitosan binds to the fat and prevents the fat from being absorbed. Um, and of course, the, there were many studies in the literature, but what was interesting is in the five trials that were published, they all were from the same investigators. And of course, we know it's really important for other researchers to duplicate this work, and no one's been able to replicate the amount of weight loss that these researchers claimed with Kytosan. And in fact, there was really no clinically significant weight loss with Kytosan. And the, the marketing for this was that you could eat a, a greasy burger and then just take Kytosan and you wouldn't have to worry because the fat would not be absorbed. And that's, of course, wrong. Uh, the calories, of course, are there as well. And those get absorbed. There are some herbs that help with uh, eliminating excess water. And these herbs, while they do can eliminate water, um, they have not been tested in uh, weight loss. And so for this reason, I would caution anyone who is uh, willingly going out to use dandelion or cascara as uh, a way to lose weight. In fact, we know that young teenage girls sometimes abuse laxatives for this particular reason to help them lose weight, and that can lead to not just loss of water and dehydration, but it can lead to electrolyte abnormalities, and then chronically you can see arrhythmias as it starts to affect the heart. So for me, I tend to completely uh, avoid any kind of diuretic as a recommendation for weight loss. And nor do we have any sense of a, a proper dose for some of these herbs um, when included in these weight loss products. Um, the last category is one that increases fat oxidation. And this is essentially helping to break down fat in, in, in simplest terms. Um, hydroxycitric acid is a product that has been used for this purpose. And what I can tell you is that one study found that uh, when used over 12 weeks in women who were uh, overweight, they had greater weight loss than the placebo group. And another study that was same, same duration um, found that there was no difference in weight loss. And what I take away from this is that until I see significant evidence that this particular ingredient um, is markedly better than placebo in helping people lose weight, I'm not inclined to recommend it. These studies were simply not long enough, and they didn't go into enough detail about calorie restriction and exercise for me to feel comfortable recommending this ingredient. Which brings me to the last um, ingredient, which is a, a green tea. Many people know that green tea um, has some very potent activities relative to boosting the immune system, and it's used and grown worldwide. It has antibacterial, antiviral, and even some anti-carcinogenic properties that are being investigated um, in clinical trial settings. 
The Chinese have used this antioxidant for centuries, and mostly it's to revitalize and to prolong life. Um, interestingly, green tea is also very rich in fluoride and can help to reduce tooth decay as an added benefit. The way that uh, teas are fermented affects the amount of catechins that are present. So in this example, you can see here, we have different kinds of tea. There's green tea, oolong tea, and black tea. And the more fermented the tea, um, so black tea is the most fermented in this example, the, the fewer catechins it has. And the catechins are important because they're flavonoids that are found mostly in green tea, and the catechins are thought to have these beneficial properties. There are four polyphenol catechins in green tea, and one of them is the most popular um, that you'll find in supplements, and this is called epigallocatechin gallate, EGCG, this last one. Um, you'll see it abbreviated on labels all the time. And EGCG is being evaluated for its anti-tumor benefits, but many people believe this is the ingredient that seems to have a lot of the benefits um, of anti-cancer benefits and the uh, prolonging longevity benefits. So going back again to the Trim Spa uh, panel, you'll see that green tea extract is listed here, and you'll note that EGCG is represented here. It's a standardized for EGCG polyphenols, and interestingly, it says that it has 40% caffeine, and so if you were to do that math, you would know that it, that equals 40% uh, of 125 milligrams is about 50 milligrams of caffeine, so that might be something like a cup of coffee, um, but that would only be what EGCG contributes. There may be other ingredients here that contribute additional caffeine, so you'd have to be very careful about that. Um, but I thought that was very interesting that they listed it out there. Well, what's the evidence for weight loss with green tea extract? Well, I would say it's murky at best. And what that means is that there are so many confounding factors. Um, proprietary formulations have largely been studied, meaning that um, it wasn't just EGCG that was evaluated for weight loss. It was a combination of other ingredients, combination blends, so it makes it hard to know. You can see here that these studies ranged anywhere from 12 weeks to 24 weeks, probably not long enough to assess a benefit. The range in age here is huge from the young to the older. Um, dietary intake varied significantly. Some studies had calorie restrictions, some didn't. Uh, some didn't even have a placebo arm. You know, the list goes on and on. So in essence, it's very hard to know if green tea extract or EGCG has any benefit at all on helping people lose weight. Now, if you believe that it has stimulant-like properties because of the caffeine content, that might help you uh, feel like, okay, well, it's got caffeine. It'll help me feel um, like I have more energy, and maybe it'll suppress my appetite. That may be true, but we simply don't know if it's the EGCG then or if it's the caffeine that's contributing to the benefit. So in essence, I have a few take-home messages that I want to uh, leave you with as you're thinking about all of these ingredients that you've probably never heard of before and that I've shared with you today. And that is the obvious, 
that there are no magic bullets for weight loss. Um, there really aren't. And as much as we want to, to find something that works better than diet and exercise, really those two components are the most critical in helping people lose weight. I should also say that weight loss is not so much the destination, right? It's the journey. It should be a lifelong approach to um, living healthy. Uh, we see these messages about trying to lose 20 pounds for a wedding or I'm trying to lose 15 pounds for this reunion, and that's really the wrong way to go about weight loss. Um, it has to be a lifetime sort of approach to, to healthy eating and healthy living. Weight loss supplements have either just not been studied adequately or do not result in significant weight loss over that of placebo. And I think that is the take-home message. There is no convincing evidence that they work consistently and that they are safe. And for me, I can't point to any single one to say that I would recommend any of them. Most studies that have been published with weight loss supplements do not include dietary restriction. And in the studies that do include dietary restriction, they're not long enough. And the reason why is when you begin diet and exercise, most of your weight loss will occur during those first six months. And those first six months are the result of the dietary restriction. What we want to see is the weight loss beyond those first six months. And hopefully, even beyond that, a year, two, or three after to see if the supplement really helped people keep the weight off. A few other recommendations. I try to tell people to avoid caffeine-containing products. This is especially if people are drinking coffee or caffeinated beverages anyway. Um, but we just don't know if there is a value to the combination products. Um, we also don't know, you know, some people are extra sensitive to taking a pill that has caffeine in it as opposed to drinking something over time that has caffeine in it, a beverage. And then lastly, if you have any of these conditions, um, I would recommend that you avoid synephrine and caffeine-containing products because they can exacerbate um, these conditions, so prostate enlargement, uh, trouble emptying your bladder, heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, arrhythmias, heart failure, type 1 or type 2 diabetes, peripheral artery disease, this is poor blood flow to the arms or uh, the legs with and without weakness, any over-the-counter medicines that have stimulant-like properties you should avoid taking with weight loss supplements, and this even includes prescription decongestants that can have similar effects and a class of medicines called monoamine oxidase inhibitors um, because they can interfere with how the weight loss supplements um, uh, work. There, there's drug interactions. And so with that, I hope that you found this informative, probably a little disappointing <laughs> and shocking too at the same time. Um, but I think that we all need to have realistic expectations for what uh, weight loss we can expect. I think we need to set realistic goals. And whenever you're trying to lose weight, you're not in it alone. You need to help all those around you know that you're trying to lose weight because eating is a sort of the social currency of our generation. And so if you're dieting, you need to know how you're going to handle the behavior when you're out with your 
friends or your family and somebody's ordering something that you don't want to eat and you don't want to be tempted. So I think those are all behaviors that um, can help someone be better prepared at keeping the weight off and, and sticking to their diet plan. So with that, I'd be happy to take any questions that you might have. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What was this Fen-Fen situation about? Yeah, those are two prescription medicines uh, that were used together, and that led to problems with um, the heart. It affected the heart valves, um, and many people didn't realize that this was a consequence until a lot of people got hurt and, and ended up in the emergency room with complications uh, with their heart valves. But it was very effective. It was two, two stimulants, two amphetamine-type medicines combined together to help with weight loss. Do you know what it did to the heart valves? The, the heart valves, they failed. They were unable to, to, to serve, to separate the blood flow uh, through the heart. And what's getting Dr. Oz in trouble? So the current event with um, Dr. Oz, you know... <laughs> So uh, my own personal perspectives on this is that I think Dr. Oz had really good intentions when he first um, started his show, and I think that w- over time, um, you know, he, there was pressure to put together a, a show that was appealing and um, generated viewership, and uh, I think he got misled. Uh, into recommending these weight loss supplements, and he used terms like miracle and magic bullet uh, to refer to some of these products, and it, it, it was wrong, simply that they were, they were not true. What he said was not true, and a lot of people bought into it, sadly. A consequence of fame, I suppose. <laughs> Great question. Since uh, there's no compelling evidence for any of these uh, weight supplements working, is is FDA considering changing their position on controlling these supplements? So that's a great question about um, because there's such growing evidence that these supplements are um, just not effective and some may be even harmful. Is there growing pressure or is there a movement ahead to sort of have the FDA remove them from the market or, or change any kind of um, regulatory um, oversight? The trouble with that is that um, the dietary supplement industry is very powerful. Um, and any time a new bill is proposed, it gets uh, shot down rather quickly um, because this is a multi-billion dollar industry, and you might argue that people are being harmed. Um, and I would say that people died with ephedra, and it still took months or if not years to get ephedra pulled from the market. In fact, when that happened, uh, the industry was lobbying to keep lower doses on the market of ephedra because it was the higher doses. They claimed it was only the higher doses that led to these deaths. And so they were lobbying, lobbying very hard to keep ephedra on the market, but luckily um, that didn't happen. Um, it's, it's, it's a very powerful industry, and I, I'd love to see these weight loss supplements go away, but I don't think it will happen. Sadly. Thank you. Thank you.
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.